I stood in the courtroom. The judge turned my way. It looks like you're guilty. Now what do you say? I spoke up, Your Honor. I have no defense. But that's when mercy walked take our Bibles and open to the book of John. John chapter 13. Hasn't it been tremendous this morning? Amen. John chapter 13. We're going to read the first 17 verses. If you find your way there, if you'll stand in reverence of the reading of God's Word. Before I read, I want to admit to a, a mistake this week. Uh, your handout doesn't have any blanks in it. So uh, my apologies. Uh, normally there's blanks there. Uh, I will do my best to tell you which word would have been blank, but it probably won't happen. So uh, happy reading. Uh, let's read John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them until the end. And the supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel 
and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. And Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him and said, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not to wash his feet. Excuse me. He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean everywhere. And ye are clean, but not all, for he knew who should betray him. Therefore he said, You're not all clean. So after that he had washed their feet and had taken his garment and was set down again, he saith unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? You call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he that is sent greater than he that sent him. And if you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. I want to speak to you this morning. I borrowed a title from a friend. It's time to take a towel. But I want to speak to you here for a few minutes on this idea of serving. I wonder if you'd pray with me once again. Ask the Lord to open your heart and receive what's about to be shared. Father, I pray, God, for those who are here today and those who are listening and Father, I pray as we are together, as we are uh, reading the eternal word of God, as we are looking therein for truths, and Father, that we would not only see, but that we would hear, and in hearing, we would obey and be doers of the word and not hearers only. Father, I pray that as we uh, depart today in time, and that, Lord, you would go with us and the word would go with us and we would meditate therein, seeking true application. Father, we love you. We're grateful for all that has occurred and we believe you for all that will occur. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My thoughts today are aimed at the individual. They are thoughts of inclusion or involvement and implementation of plans. We've spent this month talking along these lines. Next week we'll enjoy a week of revival focus with Dr. Van Gelderen and I'm confident that you will be fed and encouraged and I'm sure that when he speaks knowing him that the focus will be on uh, revival and the need for it and the expense of it and the effect of it, maybe even the process of it. But today, and to round out our thoughts for January, 
I want to spend a little bit more time pondering the idea of personal responsibility. It's not a popular subject. We often um, think about this idea of personal commitment. We have discussed it. We have discussed the need for uh, personal work ethic. Dr. Deems just a few weeks ago preached on the consider the ant. That's, that's talking about work ethic. It's talking about busying yourself in the work of the Lord. Occupy till I come, is how the Lord would say it. Uh, we, we talked about, or we have spoken about the call for decision. As for me and my house, we looked at the actions of the believer. And this morning I want to talk for a few minutes, consider for a little while the service of the believer. There's a, a movie scene, if you know me, many of you do, you know that I'm a movie buff, maybe to a fault. Uh, I was raised in the TV generation, so I like TV and movies and struggle with that as much as anybody, I'm sure. But there's a movie that I love, and I, I won't tell you what the movie is because you make fun of me, the men will make fun of me, and I can't, I just can't abide by that. So, uh, But in this movie, um, there is, there's a scene that always comes to mind when I think about implementation of plans and opportunities and responsibilities. In this movie, there's a moment where there's a deadline expressed. There is, they're up against the wall, jobs are on the line, the futures of these people involved are on the line, and so the top boss calls in these two idea men. They're his number one idea men, and in a moment of brilliance, these two guys make a pitch that the boss is enamored with, that's the thing, that's what we need to do. They, they're standing, they're animated, they're urgent, and, and he is convinced and he agrees, and he said, that's the best idea, great, let's do it, and they immediately sit down and start drinking coffee. <laughs> Much to his disappointment, because what he wanted to see was action to implement the plan. The, the idea, or, or the, the truth is that oftentimes that's what happens in the Christian life. The, the idea is, is imagined, it is expressed, it is explained, it is agreed upon, but it needs to be implemented, it needs to be energized, and oftentimes as born-again believers we read, we hear, we understand we're excited about the word. We are enthralled with the work of God, but we fail to launch. We never get started. There's never an implementation of that thing that sounded so good. It, we would rather just continue to pontificate about all of the possibilities. If you look through the scriptures, it is not that way. And uh, this is not meant to be expositional. It is meant to be exemplary. But Noah had to construct the ark. It wasn't enough for him to know that the rain was coming. It wasn't enough for him to draw the plans up. He had to do it. <laughs> right? That's, that's how he was saved, is by the building of the ark. Abram had to leave Ur of the Chaldees. There, there's a period, in fact between the first calling and the, the covenant with Abraham where he didn't exactly do that. 
he went a little ways and he carried his family with him. But there comes a time where he had to leave. Joseph had to forgive his brothers. All that God did in Joseph's life, when the time came, if he would not have forgiven his brothers and he would have exacted an earthly revenge on them, everything that God had planned would have come to naught. Joseph had to forgive. Moses had to engage Pharaoh. Didn't matter that his hand was leprous and then it wasn't. It didn't matter that it was a staff, a snake, a, a staff. It didn't matter. Any of those things didn't matter. He had to engage Pharaoh. Joshua was forced. He had to march around Jericho. One time, six days in a row, seven times. He had to do that. He, he could not say it's a brilliant plan. Oh, it's wonderful. Oh, you will never believe. And then not go do it. He had to go and do that thing. David had to face Goliath. Solomon had to construct the temple. Daniel had to interpret the dream. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Amos, and Joel all endured and accomplished very difficult things. Hosea had to marry the prostitute. He had to do that. It wasn't enough for him to say, what if? I were married to a lady and she, dot, da, dot, da, dot. No. God said, go take her for a wife. And let's see how that compares. Nehemiah had to build the wall. All of those men had to do things for the Lord. There was an accomplishment laid out there, and they had to go and accomplish it. And we could do similar with women. I wouldn't want to leave anybody out. Sarah had to wait on the Lord. Rebecca had to trust the servant. Rachel had to leave her father. Jochebed had to hide the baby. Miriam had to go and talk to the, the daughter of Pharaoh. Zipporah had to follow Moses. Rahab had to hide the spies. Hannah had to give Samuel to the Lord. You could just continue on and on, but suffice it to say, there is action associated with belief. That's what the entire book of James is written for. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. There is, there is an action that must be accomplished. The New Testament saints. Levi had to leave his desk and follow Christ. Peter had to leave his boat. Zebedee's boys had to leave their father in the whole business. Philip had to approach the chariot where the Ethiopian unit was. There, was. there was something to do. Sometimes there are prayers. And then sometimes there are plans. Sometimes there are purposes. But many times it's just plain old work. Action, involvement, or for the sake of the alliteration, participation. In, in this passage, Jesus took a towel and he did something that was uncharacteristic for a leader to do. And then just a few moments later, he said to them, I've given you an example, now you go and do what I've shown you. The context, by the way, is very apparent here, uh, and, and if you were had a blank, it would be apparent. Uh, uh, the context is very apparent. We, when we join this event, 
Uh, we do so understanding that, that in a matter of hours, the Lord is going to lay down his life. He knew it was there. He knew the time had come. He knew he was about to depart. He knew where he was going. He was going back to the Father. He, he loved the men that he had, and he loved them until the very end. All that is very apparent. It is right there in the Scripture. It's very apparent. He's here in this moment. He's spending a few moments with his disciples, and these men have followed him tirelessly, uh, they have trusted him fully. They have confessed him faithfully. And now in this moment, as the Last Supper is uh, continuing but concluding, he girds himself. It means he takes off his cloak and he takes that towel, he wraps it around himself. Because when you're doing the work of the Lord, some of it's going to get on you. It's not a hands-off, clean experience a lot of times. It's an involvement, and he girds himself with a towel, and he stoops to wash their feet. And it is quite simply just an act of servitude. It is literally the act of a slave. It's, it's the, the action that we're looking at. The, the action is, is literal. He, he does it for the sake of love. The Bible says just there in verse uh, two or three, uh, one or two there, he says that he loved his own until the very end. And so he's doing this to prepare them. He's doing it to set an example for them and for all who would later read this passage. The, the context is apparent. And we would say today that, much like we said la la last week, the, the context is very apparent today. There's a need. It's not lost on anyone who is paying attention to society and to the community where we are in time. The context is apparent. There's a need. The, the consideration is, is action. Key word, action. And when we think of action, we think of serve or servant or service and that's what we see in this moment as we consider this moment. We are really considering the action of serving, the attitude of humility. And we can see by the reaction of Peter that this was extremely unexpected. Peter said, you're washing my feet? Not so, Lord. You'll never, I'll never let that happen. It was unexpected, it was unplanned, it was non-typical, but, but Christ viewed this as a moment needful, as necessary, and as always, he was teaching a much deeper meaning. Now, I want to take care of something real quick here. This is not an ordinance of the church, and some people have tried to make it that. They, you know, foot washing services. Uh, foot washing services, <laughs> right? They've tried to create that, an ordinance, something that must be done, should be done, and the literality of it, you know. And, and, and look, there's nothing wrong with it, by the way. If, if you had the right spirit and the right intentions, and there was a moment of humble servitude that broke out wherein uh, you began to wash one another's feet, there's nothing wrong with that. 
But that's not the implication of the passage. The implication is not that you go wash each other's feet. The implication is that you love each other until the end, and in so doing, you serve one another. And so it's, it's, not, it's not an ordinance, but there are other actions that assume the same meaning because the consideration is serving and specifically humbly serving one another. Can, can you, as you think about this for a moment, can you see the breadth of this consideration that this is not... Um, I don't want to, be, I'm trying not to be sarcastic. It comes so natural to me. This is not Jesus, the friend of sinners. This is the Lord Jesus Christ, the creator in whom all things consist. That one who left the throne of glory, robed himself in the humility of human flesh, was subject unto his parents was uh, perfect for three plus years of ministry and perfect all of his life, tempted in all points like as you are and are, you and I are yet without sin. This is the one who was crowned with thorns and beaten and crucified. This is God in the flesh. And he says, wait a minute. I'm going to take my cloak off and take a towel. And I'm going to wash your old filthy earthly feet. The, the consideration here is, is, is massive. It is, it is outside of comprehension that, that he would become a slave and wash their feet. And, and we're immediately taken to Philippians chapter 2 where Paul would say, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Later in that chapter he would say that you esteem each other better than self. That's the mind. The mind is humility and servitude. Uh, we, we have a, a moment here with, with Peter doing what Peter does. And I want to tell you something. I almost always identify with Peter. Not because I'm, uh, I, I know that you probably think I'm loud and, and, and such, but uh, I'm relatively withdrawn and uh, I'm a bit of an introvert, but I am known for making dogmatic, definitive statements that are absolutely incorrect later. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. It's pretty common for me to do that. And I've made some, I've made some doozies. They live in infamy. They occupy so much of my mind and I can see somebody and remember what I said to them and I have to eat it all over again. And some of those things never die, you know, they're just, they're there. So from that aspect, I, I kind of get Peter. And I understand in this moment why Peter would object. I also have always been taught to uh, uh, respect my elders and respect adults and to recognize a parent chains of command and apparent authority, and I'm, I'm relatively, I've always been pretty respectful. And so I get why he would say, no, 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 you're not, not for me. But what we see here uh, is, it is a contentious moment for the apostle, the contentious apostle, but there's, there's also the picture of a controlling servant. This is where it lands on most of us, the controlling servant aspect of it. Because what we see is, 
Peter, impetuous and loudmouth and quick to speak and slow to listen, all of those things. And in this moment, he's very contentious and he says, he, he says, you're not going to wash my feet. If you didn't know better, you'd think for a moment that he had authority. You're not going to wash my feet. And when the Lord speaks to him, and there is an explanation of what happens if he doesn't, if I don't wash your feet, you have none of me. Oh, well, then go ahead and wash my hands and my hand. Right? And suddenly, he's not just contentious from a respectful area. He is now controlling the situation. God, I'll, this is how that would sound in our lives. God, I will do anything except. Lord, I would like to serve you, but not here in this particular way. It's, it's the aspect that we are in one breath recognizing and addressing that God is sovereign and that God is supreme and that God is authoritative. And then in the next breath, we are claiming to have some authority in our own lives. And the two do not agree with one another. They are antithetical to one another. The next we see in verses 10 through 11, the, the confession of agreement. Jesus says to him, look, you don't need to be washed all over. He that's washed needeth not to be washed, save to wash his feet. He's clean everywhere else. And you're all clean. Except for Judas. That's what he was saying there. So the, culturally, the picture is, um, and if you've ever been a camper, you might, you might get this from, from this view. They would go to a bathhouse, and they would bathe. And they would cleanse themselves, and they would put on a clean raiment. And then they would slide their sandals on, and they walked back through the dirt and the muck and the mire, and no telling what in a third world country, which that would have resembled, back to their home. And when they got back to their home, their feet were filthy. But they weren't filthy. Just their feet were filthy. Spiritually, it's this. When you've been to Calvary, when you have confessed Christ as your Savior, you have been bathed. That washed in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have been cleansed of your sin and forgiven. You have been cloaked in the robe of righteousness through imputation Christ has become your righteousness and you are clean everywhere but you continue to walk in this world and your feet are a picture of your daily walk and in your daily walk you are stepping in the filth and the muck and the mire of this world and so there are times and I would say at least daily uh, where you need to come and wash your feet off and you do that as a believer through 1 John 1 9 Amen. when you confess your sins you agree with me about your sins he is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what this is a picture of. This, what Christ was doing there, was washing their feet in water. There was no blood in it. 
There was no sin cleansing in it. It was cleansing them and teaching them that daily communion and confession and agreement with Christ was needed in the life of a believer because you're washed and you're saved and you're born again and you're destined for glory if you have repented and believed the gospel. But your feet need to be cleansed. It's the confession of agreement. In verses 12 through 17, the Lord makes the application for us. The, the picture is of the need for daily cleansing, but the application is a little different than the picture. The application is, did you see what I just did for you? You call me Lord and Master, and so I am. But I just uncloaked and girded myself and washed your filthy feet. And I've done this for an example for you, that you would serve one another. That's the application. Christ would say in other places, your love for one another, they'll know that you're believers of me. Do you think today that the general attitude of the church says to the world that we are followers of Christ? It's rhetorical, but you're welcome to answer it. Is there infighting and bickering and, and that type of thing happening in the body? Well, there is. Is that divisive and destructive to those outside of the body? It is. Are we all guilty to some degree? We are. Should we all be able to see that and agree with God of the wickedness of that and confess from it and be restored? We should. That's the application of this passage. There's, there's three truths that he shares in verses 12 through 17 there that, that I want you to see very simply. Uh, and they're, they're there directly in the passage in verses 12 through 14, uh, the, the, the truth there is that we should serve one another. That's what he says. Wash one another's feet. What we understand there is that he's speaking of humble service towards one another. And so uh, I would argue that this would carry over into the second great command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And, and so the picture there is, is it doesn't necessarily imply washing of feet but it speaks towards things that serve the weaker brother, things that serve the other brother, things that serve the, the, the neighbor. Well, what are those things? Well, one of those things that is extremely important that is not being accomplished enough is the preaching of the gospel. You love your neighbor? You care about your neighbor? Tell them the truth of the gospel because this life is but a vapor, but the next one lasts forever. So in love towards another neighbor, we would preach the gospel to them. We would share the gospel with them. It might even uh, uh, speak to how we serve the brethren, how we, how we witness uh, to the world based upon our, our interaction and testimony with one another. And not only here in this body, but between this body and other like-minded bodies. It's not possible 
that there is no one that we agree with. That's frivolous and foolish. And so if there are other bodies that we agree with, how we interact with those bodies would speak volumes to the community. And in speaking volumes to the community, open doors for gospel association. And so that is a picture. We should serve one another. Others will know you by your love for one another. The second truth here in verse 16, and we all struggle with this, whether we can admit it or not, is that the servant is not greater than his master. The servant is not greater than his master. Christ would make this uh, statement in a number of different ways. You've seen how the world treated me. You can know how they're going to treat you. If it hated me, it's going to hate you. Back to what we were speaking about uh, briefly last week, the idea that that there was this, this tremendous price paid for our souls, and yet we are given... Uh, ambiguity as it is relates to instructions and how to live and so that we can do anything we want to do and God still loves us. And this, uh, it, there's something there. The servant is not greater than his master. What was the price that was paid? And what is the, the expected return of that price that was paid? Why should we serve? Well, because Christ did. Why should we sacrifice? Why should we teach? Why should we seek out the lost? Why should we, as the song says, rescue the perishing and care for the dying and snatch them in pity from sin in the grave? Because Christ did so and he commands us to do so as well. And lastly, he says in verse 17, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. If you're holding an ESV, I think it may say, blessed are you. It depends. It's the same word. It means the same thing. It may say blessed. The Hebrew word is an adjective that means blessed, fortunate, happy. It describes the positive circumstances of or the happy disposition of a certain person. In this case, the person who serves others. Can, can I say this and we're closing self is a very cruel taskmaster and if you spend your life serving catering and pleasing self you're never going to be satisfied you're never going to be happy you're never going to be fulfilled but if you can diminish self and when you diminish self and esteem others then you're able to pull the lens back and get a much wider view. And and that includes vision and empathy and sacrifice and service. Billy Graham stated it this way, the highest form of worship is the worship of unselfish Christian service. The greatest form of praise is the sound of consecrated feet Seeking out the lost and helpless. David Jeremiah, Dr. David Jeremiah says this, Every time we deny ourselves in order to serve someone else, 
we grow in Christ. Charles Spurgeon stated it this way, I believe that many professing Christians are cold and uncomfortable because they are doing nothing for their Lord. But if they would actively serve him, their blood would begin to circulate spiritually and it would be a well within them. The question for you this morning as you stand with me is could your Christian life, your walk, be defined by action? Are you actively serving? Is there more that you could do for the Lord, for the body, for the community? And if so, I believe the Lord would say, would you start today? Would you start today? The altar's open. She's going to play for a moment. We would love to have you come down and pray. If you happen to be here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, if you will come to me, we will go into another place and counsel. And I'll show you uh, what the Scripture says about your salvation. Whatever your need, God is able and willing to fulfill it. If you become in obedience, he will provide. Father, I pray you'd bless this time of invitation. Strengthen us and prepare us, Lord, for the days ahead. In Jesus' name. Would you come this morning?